Welcome back to Counting on Grace by Elizabeth Winthrop, Chapter 2, The Trapper's Shack. I stand on that porch thinking, I've never been out in the town before with nowhere special to go. If I'm not in school or at home tending to my grandfather, then I'm at Sunday Mass in the room above the store we use for a church. Or... I'm stopping in at the mill to bring something to my mother or father. But from now on, the mill is where I'll be spending every day. What should I do with this little pinch of freedom? I shouldn't have wondered so long in such a public place. Why aren't you in school? asks a voice. Madame Boucher has waddled all the way down the hill without my noticing. She calls herself our landlady, but she don't own the house we live in. The mill owners own everything in town, the store, the school, and our houses. They hired Madame Boucher to collect the rents on French Hill. Comes from her 90 cents every single Thursday night. Regular as a clock, my father says. She has airs and calls herself portly. That's just a fake word for fat, especially when your belly swells from the money you make off your own people. But the worst thing about Madame Portly is she's nosy. Answer me, she demands. I've been sent to look for Arthur Trottier, I say. And why is Arthur not in school? She asks but my feet are already dancing off the porch and around the corner of the building, so I can pretend I don't hear her no more. She is still calling my name when I make my way down the path, but her voice gets fainter and fainter. The one place in town you can go without portly women poking into your business is the river. We live in a little town in the state of Vermont, right by the side of the Hoosick, too bad it's not some musical French name like Rivière de Loup, which means Wolf River, in case you don't know. That's where my grandparents lived in Canada before they come to America. Pepe, my grandfather, says French is the language of music-making people. Not English, but English is what they speak in America, I tell him. Pas pour toi. He grumbles with that thick old pipe stuck in his mouth and the dribble coming down his white beard. We speak French at home, but English is for me long as we live in America. In school, they laugh at Norma and Felix and the other Franco kids from Canada who still speak with an accent. Miss Sophie, the teacher who used to board with us, said Vermont means green mountain. Vert for green, mont for montagne, which is French for mountain. Miss Sophie learned me to speak English without no accent. In one year, I could speak pretty well. She said I was smart. Then she had to go away because she found a man to marry. That's when we got Miss Leslie as teacher, four years ago. She boards with the Yankee farmer family a ways out of town. Sometimes the man give her a ride in on his wagon but mostly she walks to school. Miss Leslie is a Yankee herself. Ma mère says she prefers her own people to us Francos. 
I think Miss Leslie don't care who you are or where you come from, long as you sit still. When Pepe starts in about going home to Canada, my mother says, only place to get ahead is here. Truth is, her English ain't half bad either, thanks to Miss Sophie. But she's careful not to speak it in front of Pepe. The mill needs the river, but the river don't need the mill. The water was flowing along for thousands of years. Then the people come and dammed up the river so it got fatter, and the current got strong enough to turn the water wheel. This time of year in the spring, the river runs high and proud, and the wheel never stops. Which means the machines got all the power they need, until the summertime, when the water can go slack. The river don't seem to mind. Borrow my water, it says, long as you give it back. Trouble is when the mill spits the water back out, it comes all dirty and it smells queer. Arthur caught me drinking it one time and said it could make me sick. Not me. I've got a stomach that can take anything. Even that time I swallowed a rock on a dare. Arthur's got himself a place down here by the river a tumbled-down old trapper shack where he hides. If French Johnny didn't catch him going out the door, then that's where Arthur'll be. You need to push hard to get the door through the brambles and briars growing round it. Go away, he snaps when I stick my head inside. I knew you were going to be hiding here, I tell him. They'll catch you anyways. You going to tell them? He's curled in the corner, his back against the wet wall, slimy from spring rains. His feet are tucked up close under him, and his arms are wrapped around that book like it's his baby or something. Course not, I say. Miss Leslie kicked me out of school. He cocks his head. Shh, he says. Do you hear that? I listen too. Just the river going over the rocks. Papa says the water's high even for May. He winces. Maybe at the word Papa, because he don't have a father no more to tell him things. What are you going to do? I ask. Run away. Where to? Massachusetts, across the border. I feel a little pinch in my throat. Arthur's not exactly a friend of mine, but he's somebody to talk to. You going now? Not till after dark, he says. I'll tell my mother goodbye. You're going to leave her? I can see he don't like thinking about that. Why Miss Leslie kick you out of school? He asks me. Said she didn't want French Johnny taking another of her best readers, so I might as well leave school right then. I'm proud for him to hear that. You may the, be the best reader, but I'm the second best. He shrugs like he don't care. It's fine with me, I say. At least I won't have to sit still all day long waiting on Miss Leslie's ruler. You're stupid, Arthur says, like the rest. I don't let people call me names, ever. My feet are moving before I even think. I start pounding on him but he just curls up tighter into himself. He don't cover his head with his hands and he don't cry out. I'm the one doing the yelling. I am not stupid, Arthur Trottier. You hear me? I am smart just like you, 
Miss Leslie says so, and Miss Sophie before her. Then a voice behind me says, Leave him be, girl. I need him in one piece. It's French Johnny. Arthur lifts his head and spits at me. You showed him where I hid, he screams, gathering himself to bolt again. I, I didn't, I say, backing away. I didn't show him nothing. French Johnny ain't taking chances this time. He grabs Arthur's arm in one of his big hands. Arthur twists one way, then the other. Not her fault, boy. I would have found you anyways, even without the landlady pointing the way. But Arthur keeps yelling back at me as French Johnny hauls him up the hill. I hate you, you tattle. That's the worst thing anybody can be. A tattle. I've never been that. But Arthur, don't believe me. I know he's not ever going to speak to me again. Arthur, I'm not a tattle, I yell. But nothing comes back to at me except my own echo. Pepe, I whisper. And I take off for home where my grandfather will be waiting. When bad things happen, he's the only one I want near me. Pepe can't work no more. He lies on a bed in the kitchen near the stove, chewing on his pipe. We made him give up his cigarettes so he didn't burn himself up, but we figure the pipe keeps him company, and most of the time he forgets to light it anyway. That's a good thing, because there's no extra money for tobacco. Pepe mostly lives in his bed. Every night we kneel in a circle around him so that he can lead the family rosary and bless us before we sleep. Sundays... Père Alain, our, our priest, brings him Holy Communion. On Wednesdays after school, I get him La Justice, the French newspaper, from Mr. Dupree at the store. I sit on the edge of the bed and read it to him. He likes to hear me using our language because he knows I've been studying English in school all day. Truth is, Pepe don't know how to read. But long after I'm done, he worries away at those pages with his fingers as if touching the words will make them stand up and say their names to him. The other day, Delia found Pepe walking down the hill to town when he hadn't been out of the kitchen for months. He told her he was going home to Canada, and when she tried to lead him back to our house, he pushed her away. Even though Pepe spends most of his time in bed, his arms are still strong from years of plowing. It took two of the men coming up the hill from the mill to coax him home again. When they called him Monsieur l'habitant, that calmed him down because that's the Canadian word for farmer. But that night he shouted out in his sleep and I heard the squeak of my parents' bed and then my father's voice calming him down. A little later on, Papa pulled out his accordion and played Les Boucherons, a song about lumberjacks that always reminds Pepe of home. Pepe must have fallen asleep with the music. I did, too. When I get home, Pepe is propped up in the corner of his bed snoring. I tiptoe over to slide the newspaper from between his fingers, but his eyes fly open and he holds tight. Mon petit chauffeur, says Pepe. He is always making up names for me. Cauliflower, jewel, bird. 
you've come back to see your old Pepe. I always come back, Pepe, I say, and kiss him on both of his leathery cheeks. He smells like stale tobacco and food gone bad. We clean him up real good on Sundays, but this is a Friday. So how was that English school of yours today? Miss Leslie said I'm one of her best readers. I don't tell him all the rest. It's still working itself out in my mind. Pepe is the only one in the family who understands my ways. He doesn't ask me questions, but if I want to talk, he lets me go on without hushing me. Truth is, in this family, nobody pays either one of us much attention. Going home to Canada is all Pepe ever talks about, and we know he's never going there again. But I let him pretend, and he lets me chatter. I dip water from the bucket into the kettle for his bowl of tea. In the distance, the whistle blows for the afternoon train. In our town, the noises all come from bells and whistles. There's the mill bell, morning and evening, the opening school bell, the church bells on Sunday, and the train whistle four times a day. The mill stands between the river and the train track, and we got across those tracks whenever we go to the mill in the store. Every mother in town is always at us about those trains and the Dupree boy who forgot to look and was crushed. Even though that happened years ago before any of us kids was born, the town still talks about it. Strange thing is, that boy's little brother, Mr. René Dupree, is the station master now. He also sorts the mail and runs the mill store, where we all buy our supplies. That afternoon whistle always gets Pepe going, and he tells me the same story over and over. I don't mind. I want to block out the sound of Arthur screaming that ugly word at me. Pepe is already talking when I set up the board that holds his tea bowl on his lap. He knocks his pipe against his other hand, even though nothing comes out. I'll tell you about the time we come down on the train, Grace. I nod like I never did hear that story before. I watch the whole time he's drinking so the hot tea don't tip over and burn him. It was January of 1892. Your grandmother, your mother, your father, and me. I lift a spoon of the tea. He sips a little, then waves it away. The train carrying us four pulled in next to the mill. It didn't stop, but a minute, so we barely had time to tumble off onto the platform with all our bundles. Your grandmère wasn't feeling well. I pushed her up the hill in a cart that somebody brought, and then I went back down for all our belongings. Nobody took nothing because there weren't much worth stealing but that gang of Irish boys in town were waiting for me. They lit out after me and pelted me with their hard ice balls. The Donahue uncles must have been part of that gang, and Dougie and Thomas's father. Dougie is the kind of kid who would have done the same if he'd been born then. Pepe picks up the bowl of tea and slurps from it. A dribble makes it his way down his chin, but I let him be. He don't like me fussing at him when he's telling a story. This is no way to start life in a new country, is what I told your father when I stumbled in again. 
I was bone tired from my second trip up that miserable hill and from leaving my farm at such a mighty age and from the blood streaming down out of the cut in the back of my head. The Irish don't want us taking away their jobs, your father told me. Pepe snorts at the idea of that, the way he does every time at this point in the story. But my father was right. The Irish got here before us, but when they started wanting more money, then the mill sent agents up to Quebec looking for the big Franco-Catholic families to hire. It was my mère's idea that she and Papa come down to work in the mills, and my father agreed. But they knew they couldn't leave her parents behind. I never met my grandmère, because she died two years after they got here. Back in Canada, she would have lived. Pepe is always reminding my father. And what can my father say to that? Pepe got work that first year in the mill, unloading the bales of cotton. It's the hardest job of all, but he had a strong back and it meant he could be outside. Then when Delia got old enough to go in, he quit for good and took to fishing the river in the summer and keeping the garden. For a while, he peddled vegetables from the back of a wagon to the other mill workers near us and in the larger towns north of ours. He was happy because the growing season was longer in Vermont than back home in Canada. First frost sometimes holds off until October, and you can plant by the end of May. After school, me and Henry weeded with him. Henry has the patience of a farmer, Pepe says. Not me. I'm always yanking the carrots out of the dirt before they're ready. He's nodding off again. I catch the bowl just before his fingers let it go. The mill bell is ringing. I can hear the workers starting to make their way up French Hill, where we live. There's no Irish Hill or Polish Hill. We're the only one got a hill name for us, maybe because there's so many of us. There is a snake hill. Mamère says that one must be named for the mill owners or the landlords or the superintendents. My father don't laugh like the rest of us when she says things like that. He sits back and lets her do the talking. But later, through the wall, I hear his low, steady voice warning her to watch her tongue. Pepe got work that first year in the mill, unloading the bales of cotton. It's the hardest job of all, but he had a strong back, and it meant he could be outside. Then, when Delia got old enough to go in, he quit for good and took to fishing the river in the summer and keeping the garden. For a while, he peddled vegetables from the back of a wagon to the other mill workers near us and in the larger towns north of ours. He was happy because the growing season was longer in Vermont than back home in Canada. First frost sometimes holds off until October, and you can plant by the end of May. After school, me and Henry weeded with him. Henry has the patience of a farmer, Pepe says. Not me. I'm always yanking the carrots out of the dirt before they're ready. He's nodding off again. I catch the bowl just before his fingers let it go. The mill bell is ringing. I can hear the workers starting to make their way up French Hill, where we live. There's no Irish Hill or Polish Hill. We're the only one got a hill name for us, maybe because there's so many of us. There is a snake hill. Mamère says that one must be named for the mill owners or the landlords or the superintendents. 
My father don't laugh like the rest of us when she says things like that. He sits back and lets her do the talking. But later, through the wall, I hear his low, steady voice warning her to watch her tongue.